0: You are listening to the GNU World Order, episode 28 for season 13, on day 188 of 2019. Hey everybody, this is Clatu. You've already heard the story. I've moved house down to the South Island of New Zealand. It's really beautiful here. It almost snowed. Didn't quite snow, but it almost snowed today, which is really one of the reasons we moved down here. We, We rather like snow. So, um... Maybe tomorrow, who knows. I don't have my stuff yet, still. Uh, the moving company that I contracted to bring the the things that wouldn't fit into the car uh, didn't hit their mark of delivering our stuff to us, so... um, I am still on just my work laptop. Now, that doesn't actually mean, and I didn't mean to imply, I'm not sure if I did in the previous episodes, that I couldn't talk about Linux because I didn't have my Slackware box on me. Uh, because Utilinux, as I've said, is probably on I mean it's certainly on on your Linux computer. It, 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 unless you've got a very niche Linux computer, uh, you you definitely have Utilinux on there. So that's not what's been keeping me from talking about Utilinux. It's just been time, the time to sit down and 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 look at the next command that we're gonna go over and so on. So this week has been a little bit uh, more normal for me. So, uh, I've, I, we're going to keep going with Utilinux. That's the, that's the long and short of it. We're going to keep going. So there's F allocate is the command that I, that I wanted to cover, or at least one of the commands that I want to cover today. See if we get farther than that. And, and the thing that may delay things is that I want to talk a little bit about Flatpak again, which I know I've talked about a lot lately, but it, a use case has has arisen or or at least a shining example of why flatpack is useful Flatpak and snap for that matter in fact in this particular case probably snap more than Flatpak. and it was with dave morris's fixed tags you may remember in the previous episode uh, dave morris from hacker public radio had emailed me about a little perl script that he'd written called fix tags and i vowed to try it and furthermore, I took him up on his challenge of trying to install it. Now, coincidentally, I'd been looking for a for a good example, like a really just a stellar example of why the the isolation of flat pack and snap packages is beneficial because it's it's actually a bizarrely hard sell. A lot of people are are strangely resistant flat pack and snap they they seem to think that there's some sort of sanctity of the way that linux distributes its packages and and if you dare come up with an alternative method then you are somehow making linux less linux which to me is bizarre but i tried installing fixed tags which again to be fair dave morris warned me in fact i mean he I, i i playfully took it as a challenge because he warned me he said Difficult to install this stuff, so I started installing fixed tags, uh, fixed tag, and it wasn't hard at first. I, I thought, well, this is not as hard as he, as he imagined it would be. I'm just using Perl and CPAN and installing things locally and, and and pulling a couple from my repo, my software repository. I don't know if you've used CPAN much, dear listener. It's a little bit like Python pip, which is a little bit like Yum or apt. It's a package management system specifically for Perl. CPAN is well, CPAN is also a repository, but they they also distribute a tool called CPAN, or actually, I think the package name you'll find in your repository is CPAN minus. And so, I installed CPAN minus, and started using CPAN. There, there was another way to use it too. There was used to be just a straight Perl command you could you could run, but lately they've just got CPAN as the command. It's pretty handy and you do cpan and you install the module as as provided to you in you know, whatever list of dependencies or requirements that you're you're reading and it goes to cpan finds the module and installs it and it even gives you an option to install it either locally just within your home directory or system wide and so on so it, it's it's really really handy it's really useful and it makes using the the or, or rather getting the Perl modules just a breeze Now, some modules, of course, will be in your software repository, so you could just install them from there. The problem with that sometimes is that the versions might not be up-to-date in your repository. Also, the naming scheme is bizarrely confusing in repositories, a lot of times, I've found. And, um, yeah, CPAN is sometimes just kind of the easier way to go. But it depends on, 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 I guess, how much you use Perl and so on. And CPAN, actually, I should mention, it'll uh, append some... Entries into your .bashrc file, so that Perl knows where to look for these locally installed modules, and you'll want to you'd want to source your .bashrc file if you do that because you need to bring that into your current environment. CPAN does not do that for you, so very useful, very easy. Got got nine-tenths of the way there with CPAN. And then there was one library, like audio taglib, I think. And he, he gives a warning about it. So he calls that one out specifically. And sure enough, that was the one that killed it for me. I could not get the correct version of taglib installed because the Perl module re- relies on a C++ library and the C++ library, at least on RHEL 7, because I haven't updated to RHEL 8 because I've been moving, uh, is too old. So I was trying to yank out taglib from rel7 but it didn't want to let me do that because there were gstreamer relies on taglib and so if i removed that i would have to remove gstreamer and if i remove gstreamer i'd have to remove i don't know the kernel is stupid stuff like that right and it kind of occurred to me as i was doing all of this that this was the thing I'd been looking for. This is the use case. This is the example. This is the reason. This is the thing that you can point to when someone says, "Why do we need flat pack? Why do we need snap? That's not how we've done it for twenty, forty, eighty years. So who cares about this stuff? Point them to fix tag. Uh, I don't know that Dave Morris wants his little Perl scripts to be the poster child for containerized installation of applications, but, I mean, it is a really great example. A L- simple little Perl script that just happens to rely, just happens to rely on this little tiny C++ library that nobody thinks about, nobody cares about, and yet is apparently the thing that makes your computer run. I mean, it is it is as important as the kernel itself i'm being hyperbolic here just to make a point but it's 2019 it shouldn't be in imp- it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't take hours it shouldn't take someone to go into rpm or you know whatever package system you're using It shouldn't take you to 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 rebuild your rpm packages and recompile all of the the dependencies in order to get this fixed tag or this a tag lib thing installed so that I can then install fixed tag. It's just not. First of all, nobody else has to do that, right? It's 2019. Nobody's doing this. Nobody should be doing this. Uh, second of all, it's just not that important, right? I mean, this is on on the list of 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 things I want to spend my time on. Fixing metadata tags with a Perl script is not. It doesn't even rank. It's not even in the, it's not even in the, it's not on the playing field at all. It's not even there. So I, I, in other words, it is possible to do the thing, but it just doesn't warrant any more than a click or a quick command to have it happen. That, that, if you have to work for fix tag or for audio taglib or whatever, then it's already not worth it, right? It is just such not an important thing in in your computing experience. And so, do you really? We do, we don't want Linux to just the, the the complexity of installing a library on Linux, which should not be complex, by the way. And not uh, um, wouldn't be complex on all systems, right? I'm, I'm sure if I had my Slackware laptop, I could do this in no, no time. We'll find out, right, when, when I get my stuff. Uh, I think they're supposed to arrive tomorrow with my, my, all my, my precious computers. Um, so the complexity of installing a library in some given instance should not be the, the, the deciding factor on whether you get to try out this little frivolous application that, on a whim, you thought you might try, because you had a spare 10 minutes. Well, if it takes you an hour to figure out how to get the audio library installed, then that 10 minutes is gone six times over. Not good, right? That's not the state we want our favorite operating system to be in, especially right now. This this is a problem that has been solved. It should have been solved. It should have been solved probably a long time ago. And Flatpak and Snap are the solutions. So if anyone ever asks, point them to FixTags and just tell them to go install that, and they'll understand why. Now, if they cheat and and they use, I don't know, something like Fedora 30, then everything, you know, or the latest thing, I should say, then yeah, things are gonna work. I get it. I, I get that if you if you keep up with all the latest developments, then you'll never have any problems. I mean, until you do, of course. But you'll you won't have compatibility issues, and that's and that's a wonderful state to, to be in. That's really cool that pe- some people have that you know ha- have that ha- have the the luxury, let's say. To, to run a completely unstable environment. But but I, I don't think that's also... I, th- again, that's not what we want our favorite operating system to be, I don't think. I don't think we want to, to insist, well, no, you have to keep up with development in order to have a valid running environment. That's, it's just all of these things are the opposite of what Linux is supposed to be. Linux is supposed to be the one that is flexible and that you can do anything with, and no matter how trivial your your interest is or your the thing that you want to do no matter how trivial it is if you do it on if you have Linux you can do it on there if it's just that important for you to have I don't know use the old cliche to have comic sans as your uh, as your terminal font then you should be able to do that on Linux right everything everything should be possible on Linux so if you can't get something installed on it in 10 minutes then that's a problem that needs to be addressed flat pack, snap packages, those are them. So I think fixed tags may literally, I, I don't know, I haven't looked at the complexity of, of making a flat pack or a snap package with Perl libraries installed. Uh, I mean, that's a whole new sort of, that's a whole whole ball of wax that I haven't really dealt with all that much. I mean, I've done a little little bit here and there maintaining pa- Perl-related packages, but not, not a whole, I don't know Perl well. I've been meaning to know Pearl better. Um, Dave Morris, whether he knows it or not, taught me awk, and it's changed my life. So I do want to kind of look at Pearl. Uh, the problem with Pearl for me is that I don't know whether I should be learning Pearl five or six. I can't figure. I can't get a good read on what the community is saying about that or where it's all going to go. And I don't want to be the the sucker to spend a year or ten years learning. Perl 5 only to find that everyone was actually looking at Perl 6 all along. But anyway, that's what I wanted to say about Flatpak and Snaps. I want to I want to sort of I want to um I want to encourage you to look at those systems as things that that can provide greater flexibility for Linux, and I think that's a very, very good thing. Okay, that's my discussion about Flatpak and Snaps. I think we should have a coffee now, f-allocate afterwards. You'll understand that in a moment. So what is f allocate i mentioned it cryptically before the coffee break well it's at the next command it's the next command in util linux this is a tough one to demonstrate because the commands sort of um that one no- would normally use to demonstrate uh, certain principles about file sizes are pretty smart they are all too smart or they're all too dumb because F-Allocate is lying to them. Well, F-Allocate isn't lying to them, uh, but sparse files are. So F-Allocate, very, very simply, I think I've actually used it on this show with Utilinux discussions, I think. I think I was talking about... I don't remember which one I was talking about, actually, but it, it, at some point I used F-Allocate to create a file of a certain size. That was a, a very specific thing that we needed to do at some point. I don't exactly remember all the, the reasons. And I used f-allocate. I don't think I knew at the time that it was actually in the Linux package. But it is. So the the really, really simple way to use f-allocate is to type f-allocate, f-a-l-l-tab. And then do dash dash length, and we could say, I don't know, uh, 256. And we'll name it foo. And then if I do an ls-lh on foo, it tells me that that file exists, and that it is exactly 256 bytes. Of course, if I cat foo, it's empty. It's a completely empty file. So this is a file that does exist, but is, is empty. I've just I've simply told the file system, hey, I want to allocate 256 bytes to this file called foo. Is it any different than touch? Technically yes. Does just touching an empty file um, call fallocate? I don't know for sure. I kinda bet it does, but I haven't looked at the source code to know for sure. Very similar, if not the same. Now, f allocate can kind of mess around with how it's allocating data, and there's this whole concept of sparse files, which you may have, you might have heard of these. It's pretty popular. I think it was made popular, maybe it was developed for it. For all I know, I don't know. But it it seemed to come to the forefront with virtual machines because you would create a virtual hard drive, and for the virtual hard drive, you you would think, okay, well, I need, you know, I don't know how much I need, but I might I could need 100 gigabytes for this this virtual machine or 50 gigabytes, I don't know whatever, let's say 50. and, um, and so you you might make a virtual machine that's 50 gigabytes, but usually what's happening and sometimes in, it's, depending on the interface that you're using it, it'll prompt you it'll it'll ask. But a lot of times what it's actually happening is it's making a sparse 50 gigabyte file, meaning that it it has written some metadata at some uh, some places saying that it's sort of putting a a a reserve on 50 gigabytes it's not actually using 50 gigabytes of the file system it's simply speaking for 50 gigabytes of the file system but until it actually writes data to those to, to those places in the file system it, it it it's not actually used up. Now I don't know how you know the OS mitigates sort of prioritization of of allocated space. I, I don't know how that that works. I haven't looked into it at all. I'm definitely out of scope for f f allocate anyway. But f allocate can can do a little bit of of work with with sort of the the files and and whether or not I guess they're they're sparse files so what we'll what i'll do here is uh, i'm going to create a new window here in my terminal there we go so the first thing i'm going to do is uh sudo mount no actually first thing i'm going to do is make dir sudo dir slash mnt slash uh, rd for ram disk okay so i create that that makes a empty directory and mount and then i'm going to or mnt so then i'm going to do a sudo mount Dash T uh Temp Fs dash O dash nope uh dash O size equals let's do four K. So we're making a tiny little RAM disk, little temporary fake disk drive. We've done this before I think. Uh four K, so that's just four thousand bytes, right? And then we're going to use tempfs as the file system type. And then we will do a slash mnt slash rd. So I'm I'm mounting this temporary file system on slash mnt slash rd. That's just going to give us a a very restricted place to play in. So it's 4K. Alright, so now what we're going to do is we're going to make a file. uh, Yeah, we're going to make a file. Let's try this. Let's do an f-allocate dash dash length, and we're gonna make it 5,000 bytes. And we'll call it bar. Now if I copy bar to slash mnt slash rd I get an error saying that there's no space left on the device. And that's expected because I made a file that's 5,000 bytes and I'm trying to copy it into a, a file system that is only 4,000 bytes in size. Now I'm going to do f allocate dash dash dig dash holes... space bar. Now if I copy bar into slash mnt slash rd... Still get an error. This thing isn't big enough. This the the file's too big. Okay, so now I'm going to do a copy dash dash sparse equals always bar to slash mnt slash rd, and it succeeds. So there you go. We've just copied a five thousand byte file to a four thousand byte disk. Uh, space, because the file that was created, or the, the the file that we have copied, is a sparse file. So there's metadata in there somewhere, I guess, or I don't know how to look at it, uh, that says, hey, this is a 5,000 5, byte file, or a 5k file, and yet it fits on a 4k file system. Shouldn't be possible, but it is. Because of sparse, sparse disk images, and so again, if we do copy dash dash sparse equals never on bar, and copy that to slash mnt slash rd, it fails because that that way you're you're ignoring the sparsity of the file, and you are trying to copy all that literal space over to the over the to the file system. That doesn't work there are other things you can do to get files reduced and and so that you can copy things but but you're really talking about uh, get, getting rid of yeah in the context of getting rid of sparse spar- uh, sparse allocated sparse space f allocate and i guess truncate come to mind and it's really something that I think typically you're gonna control with with your what whatever has created that sparse file. Uh that said, you could certainly look into managing your files with sparse, you know, as sparse files. I, I don't know what the benefit would be to to doing that, I'm not really sure why you would want to manage it that way. Um, f-, f allocate probably is not, in other words, going to be the command that you that you use in real life. There's there's no there there's rarely a real life benefit that I can think of to pre allocating space to a certain file. But maybe you've got maybe you've got a use case for it, and there's f allocate in case you do. Next up is FD format, which is the floppy disk formatter. It's a low level format, a floppy drive, or a, a floppy disk rather. Now, I do not have a floppy disk or drive. Uh, I did. I mean, I've, I've used them in real life at, at one point, a long time ago. Uh, but that that's not something that I've kept up with. So I cannot demonstrate this command. Apparently, it's FD format some options which include no verify or the version of the application and then a path to the floppy uh, disk and those the typical locations of floppy disks would be things like slash dev slash fd 0 d360 i don't know why it's i don't know why that's the the path i don't know why fd0 and fd1 aren't aren't the things that you would use, but the man page specifically says that FD0 and FD1 fail to work with FD format when a non-standard format is being used. So, not not too sure. Um, even I don't even know what formats are available for floppy disks. I don't know. Can you just put an ext4? I guess you probably can. Um, although, I mean, what, floppy disks are what, like 1.44 megabytes? Is that what it is? I guess that would work, but anyway, um, I can't 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 really speak too much about FD format because I don't have the tools to explore that command, and I really don't actually intend to get back into floppy disks anytime soon. I know that there is a use for them, uh, just like when I was talking about the ZIP drives and Jazz drives and stuff. Um, you know, retro computing, having an actual floppy drive is probably very useful. And I do remember, I mean there are floppy drives out there f- with a USB interface. So, I mean they were they were still a thing like, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003, that time period when when everyone had basically w- w- when everyone was walking away from floppy disks as quickly as they could. It was a weird time, you know, the, the floppy disks had been around since I don't know the the early early 80s if if not earlier. And well yeah earlier right cuz they they started out as the big ones the 5.25 and yes i know you probably have memories some some of you probably know of even larger ones but um yeah the 3.5 ones came out little little sort of coaster sized floppy disks and they weren't floppy they were hard shelled and and people knew that they were too small people wanted to get away from them but there really bizarrely wasn't a great solution yet uh, you know and it wasn't really clear on what people were going to do d- going to do for sort of permanent walk away storage you had cd roms but they were impossibly slow like at one point a cd rom drive wrote you know, basically at one speed it took forever just absolutely forever and then i think obviously there was the uh iomega zip and jazz drives that that came out and people were like yeah that that could work that that seems reasonable but there were i i remember there being weird problems with those maybe they just maybe it was a reliability issue i don't know uh, i got feedback saying that they were actually pretty good so maybe i'm just misremembering um but people that i guess i guess ultimately they just didn't take off the way that They needed to take off. You know, they, they, I mean, they just weren't, and they were always peripherals, too. I mean, there were some computers that would have, that had iOmega drives, and you could put your Jazz or Zip disk right into the computer. I don't know if that ever happened on a laptop or not, because they were rather large compared to floppies. They weren't ubiquitous, I guess. Um, And they were very specific to computers, unlike CDs. Which, which were kind of nicely cross... more than cross-platform, cross-market, cross, platform, cross, cross market, right? They were good for CD, they were good for... I mean, audio, they were good for data. It was, it was really exciting, but they were slow. And then they weren't really rewritable, and then some of them came out and they were rewritable, but then people were kind of feeling like, yeah, the rewrite stuff... Um, you know what, maybe I, maybe what I'm remembering about the iOmega stuff is that they were expensive, the, the media itself was a little bit expensive, and and CDs reached a pretty ridiculous kind of cheap price point really quickly, for better or for worse. I mean they weren't they weren't terribly. It's not a great media. Um, yeah, people just didn't know what was going to happen between you know. I mean, given okay, I can have a floppy disk, I can have a CD, or I can have a a special sort of media that needs a special drive in order to work which what am i going to do here and it was it was a bit of a confusing time when i remember when thumb drives came out that was just kind of a breath of fresh air because it was just okay finally we've got we've got a, a reasonable portable storage solution finally um it was really looking dismal at least from my point of view from about 2001 to 2006ish Probably, it's a good. Five years of uncertainty. Okay, next up is flock or flock, which is um, it manages locks from shell scripts, or, or rather, it gives you the, the the ability to to manage locks via a shell script in a shell script. So file system locks are are, are exactly what they really sound like. They they are little locks that that the, the the system can place on a file so that some other program doesn't grab that file and try to do something with it because it's currently being used. You've probably run into this sometimes maybe if you've tried to do a software repository command like a yum or an apt or something and it's yum or apt is 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 already working in another window and you try to do something It'll tell you sometimes, oh, this is you know this PID file is locked and uh, unable to continue because something else is using the process because it doesn't want two things trying to synchronize the repository database at the same time. That would be bad. But flock isn't isn't quite as simple as just placing a lock on a file and then and then unlocking it later. That's not how it works. Um, it, it's a bit of a roundabout uh command so it's it's really it is an opt-in lock so this isn't a lock that actually locks something this is this is more it's less a lock than a um speaking a a spoken for like a designator like uh you raise your hand i'm using this right now so please don't anyone else use this other things can use it. So, for instance, if you put a lock, if I do f lock on foo, uh, first that'll fail. f lock foo, bad number foo. Okay, well, exec 200 redirect into foo, and now I'll say f lock dash in for number 200 dash c for the command that I want to issue that I want to tie this thing up with. And I really can't think of any good command to tie it up with other than just let's do tack okay so now i've got a a file sort of hanging open but in an f lock in my in my terminal and if i were to do something if i were to attempt to do something to this file you might think well you've just done you've just done an f lock so nothing should be able to touch it right well watch this echo equal or oops Echo uh, quotation hello close quote redirect redirect into foo doesn't say it failed uh, so I'll cancel out of this f lock control c and then I'll cat foo and sure enough it's got that word echo uh, the word hello in it so I had it f locked but echo was able to to just write to it anyway that uh, seems it seems not very useful well like I say it's an opt in an opt-in kind of command. So, the the example in the man page is a little bit comp- maybe arguably over-complex, but we'll do it anyway. We're gonna do it make directory temp in my current directory and then we're gonna do flock dot slash temp space dash c tack. So I'm catting, well I'm tacking, uh, the dot slash temp directory which makes no sense but it hangs it it, it causes the lock to remain in place so now if i go back over to another terminal and and tr- attempt to do the same thing to slash temp so if i do a uh, flock space dot slash temp dash c and the way they do it in the man page is they use echo instead of tack which is fine and then a semicolon and a slash bin slash echo dollar sign question mark so that we get the error code that we're about to witness so i'll hit return oh i forgot something sorry cancel out of that flock dash w which i think let's look at the man page really quick yeah so it's dash dash wait. so dash dash wait, and then we'll just do something really really fast like um well no let's do one let's do one second uh, and then dot slash temp dash c echo colon bin echo dollar sign question mark and then after one second it gives me it returns one, which means something went wrong because it's supposed to return zero. so it was unable to place a lock on the slash temp file or the dot slash temp file so so that worked It's a little bit of a convoluted example, I think because it doesn't it doesn't exactly doesn't really demonstrate it like like you want it to demonstrate, but that I mean that is the principle that if you place an F lock on on a file or a directory, and there's different kinds of locks. There's an exclusive lock. There's a re, um, what do they call it? A shared lock. One prevents you from reading the thing, and one prevents you to, from writing to the thing. Then another application that you that you're telling, hey, don't do this unless the the file is is available if it's free. If it's locked, do not proceed. Um, then, then they they mutually agree that something's spoken for, and they back off as required. And That's what it does. That's F lock. All right. Let's see what else we've got in the F series. Oh, that's it. That's all the Fs. So we're gonna stop there because uh, I've got stuff to do to prepare for movers to come tomorrow. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Of course, you can email me at clatu@member.fsf.org. at member.fsf.org. That's clatu@member.fsf, at member.fsf, as in Foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.